we should, you know, we should talk about the Fantastic Four. Should we, though? <laughs> yeah, we should. I don't, I, I've got to tell you. Mm -hmm. These issues, Jeff, <laughs> are prime Simonson in every respect. In every, Aren't they? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, like you know, we'll, we'll get to it in a second, but all I could think was, these are the most Walt Simonson issues, both with their strengths, i.e. the art, and their faults, i.e. what the fuck is going on with this writing? Yes. Oh, my God. Hello, whatnots. Welcome to Baxter Building, where myself, Donald Clubber, Likes to team up with uh, my friend. God, I can't remember the name. The name of the guy who plays Chewbacca. Jeff, what's the name of the guy who plays Chewbacca? Uh, isn't it Peter Mayhew? It can't no, be. No, the new, no, the new guy. I don't know who the it's, new child. You want us something? It's, I, it's what? The joke's gone. Yes. You want us something? Hi, I'm Gray McMillan. With me is my bearded and hairy and yet lovable co-host, Peter Mayhew. Hello, everyone. <laughs> he means Jeff Lester. We're all confused. <laughs> We're reading. Marvel's Fantastic Four, all 416 issues of the first volume and the annuals, although we haven't done the annuals yet, but we'll do some annuals next. Yes. Yes, we will. Mm -hmm. Not that we're putting off the Tom DeFalco issues. No, no, not at all. Uh, yeah, no. We just need to get to the annuals for the sure, next four episodes after this. Exactly right. For the rest of the series, we're just going to do annuals page by page. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we are at the, um, we're at the end of the Walt Simonson run. Uh, and a couple of fill-ins, because of course there's a couple of fill-ins. But we are doing Fantastic Four issues 350 through 355. Only six issues this time. But I nonetheless feel that this is going to take a lot of time, because Jeff, I don't know about you, but I have conflicted feelings about these issues. <laughs> is, that, is that fair to say? Conflicted I, question mark? Yeah, yeah. I think, that, I, think, I think the question mark helps sell it. Graham, this is going to come as a surprise, uh, or not. But I actually, these are the issues where I was like, oh, okay, I kind of get it. This is where it's going to kind of work. Like, honestly, people really? have been listening to me. Really? Yeah, you know, I thought that when I was reading them all in a flush, but then I was thinking about it later on, like less than 24 hours later. I'm like, mm, no, because there's some amazing <laughs> stuff here. There is. There's, I, so, there's some great stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Art yeah. actually especially feels super strong in these issues. Yeah. Oh, God. Like, really, really strong. And there's some great stuff if you pretend that there's never been a Fantastic Four comic before. Or mm -hmm. perhaps not since Lee and Kirby. Yes. But there's some... And I'm not even going to throw this at Simonson's feet. I'm going to throw this at Ralph Macchio's as the editor. Was he asleep? <laughs> like, there's, there's, there's two things in particular in the, these four issues for, of Simonson. That are not just like kind of off with what came before, but like directly contradictory mm. mm -hmm. in, in, in mind bending ways to me. Yeah. That that when I was rereading them, and I, I read them whenever these came out, 91, I think we decided. So I read them when I was uh, 16. Mm -hmm. 
And I hadn't, well, I had read the Engelhart, but I hadn't really kept up with it that much. And, you know, it, I, I was reading it on a monthly basis, so certain things received into memory. And I hadn't read Burn in years. Mm-hmm. Um, but reading them now, when we've read Engelhart very recently, or Burn pretty recently, yeah. it's just like, what the, what the ever-living fuck? Mm-hmm. What, what is even happening? These are some... These are some interesting issues. Question mark again. <laughs> Let, let's just go straight into it. Yeah. Issue 350. The more things change or it's the real thing. <laughs> I should say of the four Simonson issues, all but one have two titles. Oh, interesting. Which I kind of love. It's the beginning of the end of Simonson's run. And he goes out, at least in this two-parter. The, the final two issues are kind of, eh. But in the, this, this opening two-parter of, of the, the last four issues, he's, he's swinging for the fences. See, I actually think he's swinging for the fences on... On um, the last two? I do, except the problem is literally that he can't... He just doesn't have the time. Like, he does not have the time to... It's rushed as hell, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it really is. It really is. But but honestly, the the first part of the TVA wrap-up, like 353, is has some beautiful, gorgeous stuff. And he, even when you get to 354, I think that it is the... Um, well, I again, we'll get there. But I, I honestly think that Simonson is trying to uphold the promise that you sort of tried that you've talked about over these last few episodes during his run um and other readers have tried as well because although i think that 354 just and pardon the pun flies off the rails it is it is the we should explain that that pun will make sense when we get there <laughs> exactly the, <laughs> It it seems somehow to be um, again that idea of here's Simonson taking the the FF the promise of the Lee and Kirby issues and it's very much that idea of an artist who who knows science fiction and knows some stuff about science and also wants to figure out how to draw all the stuff that they want to draw just goes for broke. And honestly, I think I think that last issue really points out that, um, you know, there 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 are times, <laughs> there's times in this podcast memory where we were discussing episodes in which the thing is on a planet of you know aliens who look like gangsters and gets involved in a gladiatorial ring against a soulful Spartacus-like robot, you know, and it's. And it doesn't come together, you know, but you get the sense that Kirby's drawings, the shit that he wants to draw. I, I would be fascinated though. I mean, we're going to have to talk about all the issues and then I think kind of pull back. And so one of the things I would like to suggest, if you don't mind, is that we essentially um, talk about these issues not in publication order, but talk about 350, 352, 353, and 354, and then talk about the two fill-ins at the end, I think. I was going to make exactly the same suggestion okay. because there's just no other way to do it, really. Especially because 350 specifically ends leading into 352. Yes. Uh, even though it ends with a 
hey, this is happening, but not an Edson issue because we've got a fill-in. But yeah, I think that's the only way to do it, really, because mm-hmm. it, it is kind of two two-parters, but also one four-parter. Yes, exactly. And so I, I think mm-hmm. we have to kind of treat them as a, as a as a whole. I think so as well. I think so as well. And there there certainly is a lot that is you pointed out. I mean, the, considering a lot of what's being yelled at the Fantastic Four is literally has to do with the opening story of, of Simonson's run. Um, it's mm-hmm. clear that in many ways he constructed his arc from the beginning to end where it ends. So, so I think, I think it is better to sort of talk about that all as, as a go. Um, and, uh, so, uh, I'll, I'll try doing a, I, I want to do at least a, a broad stroke summary of issue 350 so that people sure. know what we're sure. talking about. Um, it, it opens with a prologue in which, uh, the Doctor Doom that we've seen struggling to take back Latveria from the Kristoff Doctor Doom. There is a uh, enormous showdown between them struggling and fighting as, you know, uh, Doom basically assembles a ton of Doom bots uh, and Kristoff is, of course, backed by his um, ridiculous sort of toy soldier looking Latverian guards. But as they fight and struggle, a third Doom em- uh, emerges in a kind of beautiful, awesome silver armor with, I don't know if it's glowing red eyes, but he definitely looks pretty unearthly, more or less destroys the the doom that we thought was doom, but is in fact an imposter that I'm not really sure technically could even make sense based on Englehart's run, but I was going to go with it. It, 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 it. 100% doesn't, but we'll get to that in a second. Okay, that's what I was kind of thinking. I'm like, there was so it's, much... It's, it's, there's so, there's multiple reasons why it doesn't make sense, but we'll get there in a second. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so, n- New Doom, which is basically more or less the original Doom, has the code phrase that makes Kristoff uh, um, break out of his... Um, demented belief that he is the the real doom his the programming's broken doom sits down and is like yes i need to find out about the fantastic four because you know hey wait a minute this doesn't make any sense you're trying to tell me that johnny married alicia and like um that uh that somehow like sharon ventura who was formerly miss marvel also gets turned into a thing and as doom himself slash simonson writes what writer would dare to have drawn the arm of coincidence so casually which is a beautiful line despite being like such a bitchy slam oh Uh, it's amazing isn't it yeah just astounding um, basically you see Doom basically being like, okay, I've got to get more info about the FF and I am going to, you know, make them rude the day, et cetera, et cetera. This cuts to, um, a very traditional FF opening that we haven't seen in a while, which is basically hijinks around the Baxter building. In this case, it's, um, Ben Grimm as the thing sitting, reading a newspaper, but in fact, he is hanging out in his thing suit, hoping to make... Sharon Ventura feel less alone because she, of course, is tired of being she thing, despite, well, as we know, everything that came before Walt Simonson. So uh, she ends up having a moment of sullen, moody thingness where she's wandering and in kind of classic FF style, um, although the storytelling is 
uh, all the storytelling choices look so differently. The whole idea in which she is basically a stranger pulls up in an expensive car and offers to help her. Um, she gets in the car, drives to the Plaza Hotel. It's Nouveau Doom who offers to cure her. But um, when she asks what the catch is, he's like, eh, I just want the uh, to be able to take... Uh, all the genetic innovations that I'll learn by curing you and be able to make a lot of money, um, you know, because there are people turning into things left and right. And she's like, yeah, okay, sure. That makes sense. I'm really frustrated over the fact that, you know, Reed hasn't done anything, despite the fact that we've probably been back in the Baxter building for all of like, I don't know, an issue and a half. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, well, I don't know what to tell you. Essentially, uh, Doom cures Sharon quite painfully. Ben, meanwhile, back at the Baxter building, does uh, what um, what later gets lampshaded as a, as a gift of the Magi type thing and turns himself back into the thing. And then they uh, discover <laughs> that um, while that timing's pretty bad because Dr. Doom has Sherry in Latveria and uh, asks them to show up and if they know what's good for Sherry quote unquote, you know, hint, hint. So they fly to Latveria. What follows is the sort of thing that you have not seen in a while in the FF, but is pretty much a staple. And again, because of the lovely art, um, it feels very different, but it is the classic trope of the FF all have to split up and go in different directions and deal with traps specifically designed to catch their powers or cancel them out. Um, the only one who is actually able to get through is Ben because Doom was expecting him to be just regular old Ben Grimm and not the thing. Uh, what follows is a fight between Doom and Ben in which as Ben gets hit, he more or less continues to thing up and look more and more like the, the Engelhart version the more he's attacked. Uh, this may or may not have registered with you, Graham, but thank God it did with one of the, the letter column write, letter writers a few later since. There is huge shout outs in the fight between Thing and Doom between um, the, the reference Fantastic Four number 40, the Battle of the Baxter Building. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and, and there's a suggestion that that was the last time we saw Doom. Yes. And every Doom since then has been a fake. Yes. Which is again kind of kind of kind of amazing. In the end, uh, it looks like Ben might get the upper hand, but suddenly he is uh, attacked by Sherry, um, who uh, hits him with a thermo lance, uh, uh, giving uh, Doom the chance to actually turn around and shock him and defeat him. Interestingly enough heavy heavy references again to ff40 just even in a couple of panels and reed richards who was in a as unescapable trap pops up and is like aha i've escaped because you know i'm me you know thanks to ancient masonry and a sharp belt buckle i was able to escape that's all the opening i need and doom's like okay well i'm going to challenge you to a battle to the death with null time sequencers that generate a personal null time field, enabling the wearer to step between the seconds. So the two of them basically disappear in between the seconds to begin their battle, which will take place 
in issue 352 because it is such a mind-blowing battle. There's no way Simonson could have turned it out in a month. So. Which it actually says at the end of the issue. It says, next issue, a battle so titanic, so overwhelming, so difficult to capture on paper that it won't be ready next issue. <laughs> Which, you know, honestly, you gotta... I admit, I admit appreciating knowing it right up front. I don't know how I would have felt at the time being like, I have to wait two months? But, um... So, well, but but also at that point, bear in mind, like you've seen lots of villain anyway. You're like, sure, of course it's going to be two months. I, well, I know. I think the thing that happens is people are pissed that it's like, oh shit, it's not Art Adams. God damn it! So exactly, it's go, it's going to be uh, Len Kaminsky and Mark Bagley. Oh, yeah. Okay then. Okay sure. then. Yeah. So here, here are my many, many problems yes. with this issue and the storyline in general. Let's get going. One. The Doom who's fighting Kristoff is revealed to be a Doom bot literally makes no sense. Mm-hmm. And it's actually literally impossible. Mm-hmm. For those of you like us, Jeff, who have been reading all these comics up to now, you may or may not remember that the Doom who is fighting here is the Doom who telepathically spent sent a spirit into someone else's body, <laughs> then had that spirit restored to his own body, which was recreated by the Beyonder. Yeah. So if you're a Doombot, yeah. how do you do that? Right. Spoilers, you don't. Yep. I really like the conceit of we don't know which Doom is real and which and which Doom has been a Doombot. Yeah. Like Simonson's basic conceit of maybe none of them have been the real Doom apart from the Lee and Kirby uh, Dooms. Right. Is, is fun, interesting. I love simonson's redesign of doom oh my god i love it so much new armor when he shows up Mm -hmm. but then when he's talking to sharon later he's completely divested of all the doom trappings that we see him he's wearing sort of a kabuki mask and a gown yeah it like a dressing gown yeah exactly that's that's really interesting and it breaks new ground while still staying true to the doom iconography yes um simonson's writing of doom Mm mm-hmm it's great. Yes. Feels very spot on. And in particular, the idea that Doom can literally just deactivate Kristoff with a code word mm-hmm. makes so much sense that it's like, oh, why didn't anyone think of that before? Yes, exactly. Like, why would Doom create a backup plan that he couldn't undo? Yes. That 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 makes no sense. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it sort of lampshades the problems with, with Engelhart's plot mm-hmm. in that case. But his, but the, you know, it's not real Doom, it's a Doombot, is, is like, it's literally stopped me in, in my path. Yeah. I was like, that's, but that's, that's impossible. It's, like, a, that's it's impossible, impossible. And it's also kind of lazy. It would be nice if he could have figured out any other way, even if it's sort of an alternate time variation of himself that somehow, there, you know what I mean? There's also, there's also literally, what if the when he split his soul and then the Beyond restored him, something got fucked up? Right. And someone else is out there literally believing themselves to be Doom. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, there are other ways to do it. Yeah. Other ways to say he's not real. But no, he makes a point of saying that he's a Doombot. Well like be- when he zaps him, you see cogs coming out the back of him. Yes, because because Simonson is doing something and this this is what I think is interesting. Is, is that Simonson is such a witty guy. And I think everyone generally has so much affection for him. He's really considered like 
one of the one of the the kindest dudes in comics you know that and and also in a way sort of kind of above it all a little bit you know not not a dude who what i find fascinating is is sort of as i was talking in the previous set of issues about like oh yeah like simonson is never going to get involved in the sort of picayune continuity backbiting that burn became so famous for well, um, except he kind of does here. We well, see, that and that's it. I said that last time. Exactly. And here, he's literally, I mean, he's undercutting Englehart. He's undercutting um, Burn. Burn? I mean, yeah. the way that he the way that he kind of does it is so has so much brio. By picking issue 40, I mean, he's not just going all the way back to Lee and Kirby. He's literally going back to pre Joe Sinnott, Lee and Kirby, you know, issue 11 or 12 aside, like that is issue 40, which guest stars daredevil is like kind of one of the last, um, I don't want to say hurrah, whatever the, the, cause I'm think trying to get the antonym of, of essentially the Kirby doing a superhero comic that is start where he's begun to lose interest i feel um Mm -hmm. and and right before things really kick into gear so maybe i think on the one hand that simonson sort of trying to make it seem like what he's doing isn't invalidate dissing and invalidating everyone else's conception of doom sense and he definitely layers in references that makes it sound like doom has come back once or twice or even when ben says something like you couldn't you 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 can't tell me that you it's never been you at any point until then and and doom's just like you'll never know you know i'm exactly. never gonna Maybe tell it you was. right which which in its way is simonson kind of trying to be like no see i'm i'm having it both ways like well this... he is he's really he's really mm-hmm. having his cake and eating it too completely it's it's not doom unless you want it to be doom. Right, right. Which on the one hand it would be a clever solution, except in order to get there, he really does just throw Engelhart and Burn at the very least very very directly under the bus, and especially Engelhart though, and and oh, that's yeah. mm-hmm. that's the other thing that I have such an issue with with this issue and next issue and in fact the the remainder of simonson's run is it's almost as if he never read Engelhart's run mm-hmm. and someone described it to him because sharon's like for this plot to work sharon's entire motivation in the Engelhart entire attitudes from the Engelhart issues has to be invalid yes Oh, her, her, it's, like, it's, it's as if she never existed. And frankly, by the time we get to this issue, it's like the Sharon that existed in Simonson's issues didn't exist either. You know? Well, it's, it's his treatment of Sharon, uh, in these four issues in particular, is really, really strange. Yeah. Um, because Sharon falls for the, the, like most obvious trick in the book mm-hmm. when doom going no i'm doing this out of the kindness of my heart mm-hmm. uh, so if i were doom is even like haha she fell for it which is just amazing well he uh, he does that thing where he's like oh i told her that it was money because she would never believe me unless i had a base motivation and i'm like i don't 
buy that. I, like, I literally no, not don't... at all. Like, yeah. Sharon, literally, mm-hmm. at the start of Simon's Run, even, mm-hmm. was shown to be, like, the smartest one who wasn't Reed. Exactly. And the most curious one who wasn't Reed. Exactly. Exactly. So the idea that she would just... But also, like, the whole thing where... I mean, Sharon in this issue is, before, even before that, Sharon is a scold. Mm-hmm. She is a self-pitying scold. Yeah. She gives Ben a hard time for trying to make her feel better. Yep. And then walks off going, oh, no one knows what it's like to be a thing. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> fucking astounding. Especially, like, because you remember the Engelhart run where she uh, she went insane, basically. She basically had never sprayed down when she became a thing. Yeah. But then she was like, I actually prefer being a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I prefer this to being human. Yep. And that never resolves in the Engelhart runs. And Simonson just ignores it and goes, oh, no, she never wants to be a thing in the first place. She she is so desperate to be human yeah. that she'll follow it with the rest of the SF and she'll make a deal with Doom. Oh, so that she – and in part also because, again, she'll, so she can have that sweet loving with Ben, ben Grimm. Like, yes, yes. Because so, 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 she wants to be his woman, yeah. which, again, is is entirely at odds with what Engelhart yeah. set up for the character. Yeah. You know, so there really is a sense of like, did he just not read Engelhart's run? Which is, don't get me wrong, entirely possible in that he makes fun of it as well. Not saying that if you'd read it, you wouldn't make fun of it. That might be all the more reason to make fun of it. But there's something about the line, what stupid coincidence is this? Mm-hmm. You know, what writer would come up with this kind of coincidence that makes me feel as if basically Maggio's told him a plot synopsis. Yeah, that makes sense. And told him derisively, too. At some yeah, point. yeah, and Simon's just like, well, that's just silly. That that's you know? ridiculous. I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna have Doom step in and just kind of make fun of all this. I think, I mean, although I have to say, and this is the other thing that's kind of creepy, is Sue gets a bad, bad hand in these issues too. I mean. Sue gets a bad hand through the entire Simon's run. Yeah, it's like she does not exist. Honestly, there's shots throughout here where, I don't know, did you ever watch the cartoon series Aeon Flux? Um, yeah, yeah. So you know how Aeon Flux basically is, is you know, this sort of woman assassin who, like, jumps around, but she more or less is kind of, like, somewhere between, like, a human and, like, like a supermodel version of a gecko. Like she just has like flat eyes and an inexpressive face. And it's more or less the same expression. Are you the, the Pander Brothers? <laughs> it, it, it looks like the Pander Brothers, but it's not, is it? No, I, I'm fairly sure the Pander Brothers did character designs for Aeon Flux. Oh, that's so funny. I assumed it was Peter What's-His-Doodle who, who directed the whole thing. In any event, the point being, Sue, like there was points where Sue literally looks like that she looks like she is being drawn she's like the italian she's like the girlfriend from an italian comic she literally looks like she is absolutely the sort of expressionless blank-eyed glare that you get from an italian countess before diabolic like yanks her jewels and jumps out a window um it's she's 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 like not there like Honestly, and this is, ugh. Anyway, so no, but it's 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 really interesting because if you think about it, if you think about the Simonson run as a whole, mm-hmm. Sharon is the only female character who really appears in it. Yeah, Sue gets pushed 
way to the background. Alicia pretty much gets written out of the book for all intents and purposes. Oh, yeah. In fact, in, in, the only thing that you have is sort of variations on a female villainess. I was going to say, Sharon is becomes one of those as well in these issues. She It looks like she does in this issue, whereas kind of at the end of the issue, it's like, oh, no! And then the way that they have it, it's it's such the exact opposite, where she starts acting and it's people are the the extent the 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 motivation that Simonson gives her for doing the thing for doing what uh, her betrayal of Ben on the next to last page or penultimate page is again so um so in like direct contradiction there but that being said like i said w- we still have some time to go but i think it's worth keeping in mind it was kind of like oh okay so so Englehart and Byrne, it's kind of a thing. He's trying to figure out a way to have his cake and eat it too and maybe solve the problems with Doom. And it, okay, it's, parts of it seem kind of petty and picayune. But then by the time that you get to the the joshery of the TVA, it it again starts feeling like if if this was not a creator who had not earned a tremendous amount of goodwill, I'm like... Is there a real peevish axe to grind going on here? Because when you essentially make your ultimate villains be a kind of um, cosmic Mark Grunwald, a cosmic Mark Grunwald, and and not just cosmic Mark Grunwald, but cosmic Mark Grunwald as literally the face of an unending bureaucracy. Is... Yes, cosmic Mark Grunwald as the ultimate editor. Yes, right. Exactly. So yeah, it's 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 weird, isn't it? Because there there really are a lot of things to like about these issues. Oh, so much. Uh, yeah. You know, if, if nothing else, genuinely, this book has not looked better in a long, long, long time. Yeah. We've talked before about how much we like Simonson's art, but these four issues really are some fucking amazing Simonson art. Oh my god! Yes. Like really, really, really great Simonson art in mm-hmm. these issues. Mm-hmm. Um. I I made it, you know, a, a jokey reference for to the fact that all of these stories have subtitles, as, uh, alternate titles, as opposed mm-hmm. to, with the exception of one. And I love that. And the titles show a sense of humor that, honestly, the stories don't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like the like. So there's so to continue to pick apart three uh, three fifty for a second. While I appreciate the idea, and and Samson calls this out explicitly, that the reason he's able to cure. Sharon when Reed couldn't is that he's also using magic. Right. Like I really enjoy that. Yeah. That it then immediately cuts to Ben decides to make himself into a thing and somehow manages it. Yeah. Felt astoundingly sloppy on multiple levels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like Ben's thought processes is just compressed to be generous. Yeah. Ben out of nowhere in in a page goes, Ah, I guess I'm human. Oh, maybe that's what she doesn't like. I know. I'll work out how to make Reed's machine turn me into a thing again. Yes. In a page. Yep. Is just nuts. That it succeeds. Right. Is even more nuts. Well, I mean, again, it's... And who knows? Maybe maybe, maybe we're missing the point in Simonson's tweak of, you know, the drawing, the casual arm of coincidence so casually... Uh, is as much a slam to himself because let's face it this is this is 
just as it is. It's ridiculous. It's oh, just this is as ridiculous. this is worse. Yeah, this is genuinely exactly. worse. Yeah, because at least Engelhart had the good grace of going. Oh, it's the same thing that turned him into the thing in the first place. Yeah, yeah. Like he flew through more cosmic rays. Mm-hmm. Sure. Right. Like I could buy that much more than. Ben just happens to play around to some technology and recreate exactly the same accidents that turned him into the thing. Yeah. Yep. yep. Is is nuts. Is absolutely nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Also, again, to be peevish, the two titles, The More Things Change is a great title. Um it's the real thing, which I know, of course, is like the, the Coke jingle at the time. Uh, feels, again, kind of, it feels kind of crappy, you know? Yeah, it, it kind of really it does have that. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, Sharon isn't really the thing. Right, exactly. You know, like, yeah. let, let, let's get Ben back. It's, it's the Marvel legacy of subtitles. Uh, but you know what? So it's funny. I'm scrolling through the, the comic as well as we're talking about this, and I am honestly just remembering like the many things that that are are annoying about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I come across the page where Reed is going through the the, the yes, tunnel. yeah, and, and that like the layout there is lovely. It's kind of fucked by the lettering, mm-hmm. but the layout there is great as he stretches and the panels get shorter, which gives the impression of everything getting longer. Like yeah. that's that's a really nice layout trick, yeah. and the fact that all of those panels are regular mm-hmm. also helps. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. so there is a lot of stuff that's nice. Oh my god, there's it's so much just, stuff. Yeah, it's just there's also like there's almost as much stuff that's not nice. You yeah, know? yeah. There, there's it really is for for I think the first time in these Simonson issues, there's a balance of not just bad but shitty. Hmm. To, mm-hmm. to the great stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I, it's interesting. It is interesting. It It is, uh, um, th- yeah. I mean, I, it could be for myself, who was <laughs> a, a naysayer from, from, the, from the beginning of the run. Part of me is like, uh, yeah, I suppose. Like, you know, part of me is like, mm, maybe my expectations were never set as high. But... It's uh it's so it's so frustrating because you I don't know. I it, on the other hand there is there is this thing of um I don't know. It's it's I'm just there's things here that I wish had been had been kept and perpetuated. And by by which I mean honestly, I love Silver Spacesuit Doom so much. Um and even with the idea of his that changing design where he's like, he's going to have different armor for different occasions and it's all going to look slightly unreal. The idea that the idea that doom is not quite human in this episode, in this issue, the red eyes are particularly, and not only that, he unmasks himself to prove that it's him to Kristoff. Yes. But we don't see it. Yeah. Like we purposefully only see the mask. We don't see what doom looks like is wonderfully creepy. Both of those things, the idea that doom disappears to somewhere else. And by the way, he might not be fully human. Yeah. Sort of elevates doom outside of the joke that he, he becomes on a regular basis. And it's definitely by this point he'd become, But it's, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, there's so much about these issues that feels like retconning 
And just because we like the Doom retcon, I can't. I still am like, yeah, but he's still shitting on Burn. He's still shitting on Engelhart. Oh, completely, completely. I mean, he is. And and again, the other thing that's rough is is that the that that feeling of shitting on feels really unearned because if Walt Simonson, the writer, was being, you know, supported by Mark Bagley, the artist, you know, like, bless his heart, but Bagley is not at, quite at a stage of his career in in issue 351 that he would become. And even then, not necessarily to everyone's cup of tea. Um, you know, it's it's just... It's frustrating. It's kind of like, yeah, you kind of got to ha- sort of have the goods, you know? And it's a shame because I part of me is like, I think that Simonson, again, part of it is, is like, I, you know, the the most generous uh, interpretation is kind of like, he doesn't really care. You know what I mean? Like, he kind of doesn't care enough which, which, to... Which yeah. on the one, you know, we talked about this last time. Mm-hmm. On the one hand is a plus, mm-hmm. but... There are certain books, and I'd argue that Fantastic Four is one of them, where it's a minus, where you kind of have to buy into the premise in a way that that Simonson doesn't for it to work. Well, you know, I got to tell you, this is I think there's a case to be made, interestingly enough, because you've talked about how um, uh, a little bit about the, the nostalgia factor of like, if you read the, if you read these books, when they came out, they have such a power and such a strength, maybe not these particular issues, but the bulk of Simon's stuff and the breadth of yeah, what he's de- doing. Definitely. Definitely. The first storyline, the first yeah. storyline has a, a very strong, and I suspect for people who like the, the R. Adams three parter. Yes. Well. Yeah, absolutely. I suspect that yeah. that has exactly the same thing. Yeah. Oh, completely. Cause it, on the face of it, it seems to kind of ha- both of them kind of have a everythingness to it. It's just a more yeah. is more kind of feel, but yes. interestingly enough, I do wonder if maybe more modern readers would actually be sort of equally or more responsive to Simonson's run because at least for myself, I feel very aware of there was that period where Marvel sort of after it collapsed and was sort of rebuilding itself, the, the new Marvel era where I had to sort of make reconcile myself to the idea that the characters that I knew were gone sort of, you know, there, yeah, there was yeah. no longer any internal consistency for continuity's sake and so you just literally had characters basically people stepping in and and being unshackled from continuity and kind of being like okay here's my fantastic four story here's my spider-man story here's what i'm doing with x-men you know and kind of an attempt to kind of not to not really be uh, constrained that way maybe simonson simonson's run on the FF here really does have a if you hadn't picked up the book before he stepped on maybe it maybe it all seems kosher you know and in a way maybe it seems even better than that it's kind of like you get him doing his take on the Fantastic Four and you also get him trying to in in a way that's very different from the people that have preceded him try to recreate what he loves about the FF without being uh, 
slavishly imitative of it. This is like I think honestly, this is where the Baxter building format is not even unkind, but shows up that approach. Mm-hmm. Shows the weaknesses of that approach. Mm-hmm. Because if you're reading it as as we are, mm-hmm. a 416 issue run, yeah, to suddenly not even be self-referential, but but purposefully ignore, contradict, or insult what has come before mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. this way stands out all the more. I think so. And to be honest for myself as kind of an old school fanboy, that stuff, as you know, doesn't always kind of ruffles my feathers a little bit. So it's, it, it, it was, it, it was, it's, it was hard throughout the run. It's kind of hard at, at here at the apex of, of Simonson's run, even while at the same time, some of the stuff that he's doing like i think issue 352 and uh, a solid chunk of 353 are kind of glorious you know um mm-hmm. in fact so okay let, let's move on to 352 then yeah let's which, let's which talk is, about 352 which is the second part of, of the storyline it is called no time like the present or it ain't funny how time slips away mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and it is uh, it's a fight issue with with certain additions, for one of a better way of putting it. <laughs> uh, it's so there are there are um, two narratives kind of going through this issue, but they're both one narrative. The narrative is is completing the previous issues uh, setup, which is the FF are still in Latveria. Reed is fighting Doom, mm-hmm. while the rest of the FF namely um ben for the most part yeah are dealing with with the rest of doom's defenses but the second narrative is doom and reeds are fighting outside of time yeah and they're fighting in a non-linear fashion in the comic yeah so so it really is um for those of us who 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 love formalist uh experiments uh this is this is a st- stunning issue this is that classic when people talk about like oh stuff that you can't do in any other medium like it's pretty hard to imagine how anyone could really do um such a such an amazing job of having a narrative because the the nature of comics allows you to flip back and forth through the pages easily um it almost feels like the stuff that we end up seeing, like uh, Al Ewing's Choose Your Own Adventure Dread stuff, uh, except, you know, uh, to different ends, but also with just an absolutely different... Um, it, it it's, it's literally about, again, there's two narratives that are here and they even cross over and interact. And part of what's fun about the Simonson bit is that if you like me read the issue for Reed and Doom's battle through time um, initially and then at some point more or less get distracted and jump back and start reading through Ben and the rest of the FF's attempt to get through 
um, the castle um, and, and free themselves. And then you sort of jump back and piece together the last little bits of the duel until the end of the issue. Um, to me, it's just, it's a rem- it's a very enjoyably full experience, you know? Like, you really flip back and forth through the comic until until you have a really solid sense of how much Simonson is looking at comics as a medium for um, dissecting time. You know, it's a it's a real master class in in storytelling pacing by by cutting up the pacing into two different story strips and having them again uh, touch at the borders for each other. Exactly. It, it's the interaction that makes it almost more impressive. Yes. Because you have and, and we should you know, we'll we'll put images of this up in the show notes. But the um Reed and Doom are essentially having a parallel narrative in the uh, most right third of the page. Yeah. Throughout the comic. In black and white, with some lovely grayscale touches. Oh God, gorgeous! Um, yeah. But every now and again, they will fade in with the main story, mm. so you'll have some color, or the panel borders will break because they are interacting with regular time again. Yes. And it's in ways that is just fascinating. Like uh, at one point, they sort of come back in when uh, Ben is fighting a robot, and the robot decides to shoot Doom. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then they fade back out allowing Ben to, to punch the distracted robot or or uh, the points where they'll be distracted by uh, reading uh, Doom will be distracted by something else that's happening, not on that page but on another page altogether because the moment where they are is actually three pages hence yes. in the main narrative yeah. and it's, it's just it is mind bending, like reading it is, ironically takes a lot of time, reading it takes a lot of time Mm-hmm. Because you have to piece together a narrative from like three different layers. Oh, from yeah. Reed and Doom, from the rest of Fantastic Four, and from where they intersect and exactly when they intersect in each other's narratives. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's it's it 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 is. It's formally stunning. And it and in addition, so uh essentially what ends up happening is um more or less Doom and Reed uh come out of their their null time duel in part because the TVA has uh shown up the what is it the time variance authority time variance authority yeah it shows up with warrants for their arrest um and uh basically says you'll surrender yourselves into our custody immediately and doom says what impudence uh and turns around and starts firing literal finger guns at the robots um and then ends up being essentially killed right before everyone by uh, Justice Peace, uh, who shows up with reinforcements, and then more or less seizes the FF and and um, takes them to the Null time zone. They disappear, and you see Doom lying there, apparently dead, just one issue after he's come back, and the last page uh, reveal is that Doom um, Doom was essentially cheating and more or less put Kristoff uh, in to swap in and out uh, during the duel uh, and I think was basically more or less intending to like 
sucker read because he says just imagine the look of surprise on his face had he been suddenly slain from behind which i'm sort of like you would have to imagine because you're slaying him from behind aren't anyway the, the thing that i thought was yeah, actually... he would have had a camera yes he would have just said something up like he's, he's got lots of things going on so one of the things that i actually really loved about that is um at one point during the course of the duel, um, it kind of annoyed me how much uh, Doom was calling Reed by his first name, was referring to him as Reed. And then when I looked back, it's like, oh no, he really does start off by calling him Richards very consistently throughout. And so I was like, shit, is it the point where he switches between Reed calling him Richards. And when he calls him Reed, that's Chris one's Kristoff and the other's doom. Like all of a sudden I'm like, what the, there's, there's a point you probably noticed it, Graham, where right before doom opens up the finger guns, I'm like, Oh, it's weird. They, they drew him with the regular eyes instead of the glowing red eyes. That's kind of disappointing. I guess it was a screw up. And of course, cause I had forgotten it's not at all. It's exactly it's exactly what it appears to be. So there were pieces throughout where I was like, oh, is Simonson really threading this together so tightly that you can read through it? And, you know, essentially, is it going to have a like him disappear? Like he's rich. He refers to him as Richards on one page. And then the next time they glop over and he's calling him Reed. That's how you know. And I'm, I'm not sure that it's actually that consistent because um he switches like halfway through a page, but but also like when they come back to the regular time, mm -hmm. he's calling him Richard then. Exactly. So so, so it's not but, consistent, but, which is a shame. But here's what I think is meant to be the case, or at least here's how I read it. Uh -huh. When Reed's punches Doom and Doom ends up on the ground, mm -hmm. there is there's literally a distraction because the time variance authority appear. Mm -hmm. And you'll see after that is when you see the eyes. Mm. So I, I just assumed that it really was a last minute swap a roo swap. Well, maybe. Uh, I, although that said, like I say that now I'm looking at the page and, and <laughs> says reason never suspect that we switch places during the duel. Yeah. Yeah. That that's but, sort of it, So I think that it actually is some point, you know, because he, he even says something that that is just so, uh, um, I don't believe it. You lied to me. You know, Reed, I might come to respect you eventually if only you live long enough. And it just seems so familiar. But then that being said, like in the pencil thing, it's literally on the panel before he's clearly kind of got the, the, the strange eyes. So... Who knows? Who knows? I mean, yeah, I don't who, think... Who even can tell? Yeah, exactly. It, it's, yeah. Well, hey, we're talking about all the good stuff, and we've not talked about the bad stuff about this issue. Oh, gosh. What? Oh, you mean, though, is it the stuff with Sherry, or is it the... It's the stuff, it's the stuff with Sherry. Yeah. It's the... Sherry is traumatized and attacked Ben because she thought that Ben was herself as the thing. Oh, yeah. And she only gets over it because... Ben covers his face and then Sue makes him disappear. Yeah. Because Ben's wearing the, my favorite part. Ben is wearing Shari's costume. Yeah. And Shari somehow didn't realize that Sue has stripped her costume off her. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. 
yeah, it's it's just... Well, I mean, for that sense, what is she wearing? And also, again, when I'm talking about how badly Sue's being treated, look at Sue on page 16 of the GI Corps stuff. Or if you want, people, look at 1.30 a.m. where they're talking. What is going on with Sue's face, or rather her lack of expression... From yes, a... exactly. Why is there only got one expression throughout this entire scene? Oh no, she says, with a face that is just like her saying, Ben, your body, you're still metamorphosing. And a, a lack of emotion showing both times. Yes, it's yeah. A sort of strange scowl. Yeah, One thirty-six a.m. It's like, I don't know if Walt Simonson is trying to uh, uh, create resting, in, uh, resting bitch face. You know, it's, it's here so in weird. Sue is saying to her, "That's not true, dear. You're a lovely young woman." Also, a really weird line of dialogue for Sue there. But yeah. again, the face is just this like passive scowl. Yeah, completely, completely. Like it's almost as if you half expect. You know, Simonson was like, "Ah, well, I didn't get a chance to tell that like Sue was Nebula all along story." But man, you know, well, shoot. But it, but it's just oh, no, yeah. it's it's it, just it's, it's not good. No, know? it's not good. It's not, mm-hmm. and it, it's it, for, formally this issue is amazing. Yes, but when you actually get down to the brass tacks of the story again, mm-hmm. it's not. <laughs> no, but it's really not. No, like, no, the, no, the, it's, the, it's the, not. Mm-hmm. You know, you you get ignoring the genuine greatness of the Reed Doom fight. Yeah. The plot of this of the issue is Ben fights some robots, then frees the rest of Fantastic Four. They find Sharon, who is in shock, kind of, and thinks that Ben is herself until he puts on her outfit. Again, how he gets her outfit without her noticing, fuck knows. Right. Sue then makes him go invisible. That makes Sharon get over her own trauma so when she sees Ben again in a second again no longer wearing her outfits don't, don't ask people yes she's like oh Ben you're the thing I thought you were me I, not only am I over my trauma trauma I now recognize my own trauma mm-hmm. as like and, and that's fine I'm not I'm okay with that completely <laughs> um, and and oh I love you no matter what you know completely mm-hmm. over everything now have a whole new personality you know i i'm not i'm, I'm sorry for punching you with a, a laser lance before and then like judge dread fake turn shows up yes and goes you guys you're all under arrest and have killed doom let's not mind about him anymore <laughs> it's 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 really bad yeah yeah like the writing is really bad yeah yeah it's it, it and, it's 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 one of those these two issues in particular sort of summarize what I was thinking about these this batch of issues, but overall like all of the Simonson's Fantastic Fours, which is literally it's Kirby's don't ask, just buy it. Mm-hmm. Continually. Mm-hmm. Like go along with like you carried along by the momentum. Enjoy the art. But if you stop for a second to actually think about the plot mechanics or the characterization, yeah. You dead well see that's it it just it it's kind of it's like a it's like a car that just keeps you know like it's on it's on three flats it just happens to have like the most amazing tire 
you know, keeping everything moving. But, you know, before you, you sort of were like, oh, yeah, okay, well, but it's still kind of that, that one tire's got enough air and we're still kind of moving quickly enough, you know, but it is, it, it does, it gets, it gets kind of tough. It is, I, in a way, the thing that is sad is part of me is like, because I didn't, didn't, I had read some of these issues as they came out, as we've said, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> I'm actually choking <coughs> to death before I can say I told you so, <coughs> but, but I do have this thing of like, wow, I, I am genuinely surprised by how so much, so much of what I complained about from the get go in Simonson's story, Simonson's arc really does sort of come back to haunt him here or haunt us all at the end because it just it's a shame there's so much glorious stuff here but you just like you said the don't ask just buy it you're kind of you're having to work so hard to ignore the stuff that is not working you know what i mean it's not it's not an easy task it's just it it's it's such a shame. It's such a shame yeah. because because there is so much to like in mm -hmm. these issues and in Simon's run as a whole. But it really is the second you stop to think about it, you're like, oh fuck, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. fuck. <laughs> like I, one of the things that has been really difficult for me for these these issues has been i loved these issues mm -hmm. i genuinely did i had such affection i was like this is the, the forgotten classic fantastic four run mm -hmm. i'm doing the for practice i've just been like you fuck <laughs> well i was actually going to ask you that at the end but but since since we're since you're here now so i mean and this is this is more or less the way that some of the commenters have been challenging us, not necessarily inappropriately, is A, does does that mean that this is not one of the classic runs? Well, I, I was I was going to be maybe a little too sarcastic and say that it's still kind of one of the classic ones. A because the art is wonderful. B because for all of its faults, like I I really appreciate the scope of these these issues. Mm -hmm. uh, I really appreciate the Doom Recon. Oh yeah, I, as much as I I can't sign off on the way he got there. Mm -hmm. There's something so um, fascinating about mm -hmm. his his about the idea, and I'm fairly sure it's abandoned immediately afterwards. I can't actually remember how defalco and, and oh my god i cannot imagine defalco right. like co-signing that at all well, yeah, that's it. like i can't i honestly don't remember what they do with doom mm -hmm. and i'm super curious after this you know because <laughs> their run is so retro that i'm super curious what they do with this idea but but it, there's there's such an energy to these issues oh yeah because it really does almost get away with it is the thing mm -hmm. you know um, so part of me is like, maybe it's still one of the classic I've had fronts. Well, which I think does gauge the idea of like, the very serious idea of like, maybe the FF is not a very good comic book. You know what I mean? Like, maybe, like if this well, is there, near the top. Think, yeah. That's just it. Like, there aren't that many quote unquote classic FF runs. Right. Now, you know, I, I, I think, I, I can't even remember who it was. Mm -hmm. Andy Curry or someone. Someone on Twitter was like, there's Simonson. There's Lee and Kirby, there's uh, Wade O'Marinko, and there's Jonathan Hickman. 
I think that wasn't wasn't that the thread where actually Andy Curry left out Simonson and you had to point it out? Yeah, I think that's what it was. Mm-hmm. And he might have put in burn. Yeah. But that's just it. Like, you know, for a comic that has been around for more than 50 years, if you can only get to five runs. Well, that's it. I think I think some people were leaving burn out. I don't know. I, again, because I remember seeing the thread because Adam Nave was like, uh, you know, once you get to Malice, that more or less knocks burn out of the running. But I'm like... Burn had been there for a couple of years. Also, this also, is. I'm fascinated that malice is what knocks burn out the running for people. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean, right? Um, it's kind of funny because, well, I, I, it almost makes sense, I think, because I just feel like, because uh, I don't know, among other things, it, that the malice stuff is also wrapped in the hate monger stuff, and it really is wrapped in some uncomfortable. Oh, there, there, there. Well, there's a lot of um, problems with it. Yeah. Part of me is like, I feel like Malice is actually one of the least problematic parts. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I th- it's it's weird how much the burn stuff somehow gets retconned into one. That being said, as long as we're talking about this, because I do want to mention for myself, and not for Graham, I, it can be hard. We can confuse the two of us very easily. But I liked the period from from 160 to 200 a lot more than than Graham did. And in fact, Graham, of course, really enjoyed the run from like 190 or 191 up to 200 um, a lot too. I don't think you'd put that as a great run. I mean, it was no. Marv Wolfman writing, but, but for myself, I would actually, again, maybe it's just because I'm a kid, but I'm like, I don't know, man, Roy Thomas, George Perez... Reed being replaced by the brute and locked in the fan of negative zone, it sort of works. The yeah, I don't know. In any event, I've got a lot of fondness for some of that stuff, and it's hard for me to to rule it out. But that being said, because people were more or less saying like maybe Jeff does not like the Fantastic Four. Honestly, at this point, I'm I'm not sure. Maybe maybe they're right. Maybe there's a little bit of this where you know, taken in conjunction with the fact that I had something like the first 43 issues of Marvel 2-in-1, maybe I was just an enormous fan, as a lot of us were as kids, of The Thing, and I, I liked everyone else as long as I wasn't reading the book too closely, and once, maybe maybe the FF is the classic Stanley Jack Kirby book, maybe it was never designed to be read too closely. You know. Now, is, are you saying that it's never designed to be read too closely, or are you arguing actually that it should have just stopped after Lee and Kirby? Well, no, because because I, <laughs> I think we made a good case. If you look at Lee and Kirby's stuff, Lee and Kirby are fighting one another in in the story. You know, in fact, looking rereading issue one forty, the Battle of the Baxter Building, which is the has that amazing sequence where Ben, because the FF have been stripped of their powers and have to fight their way back to the Baxter building, and the only one who's protecting them is Daredevil against Doctor mm-hmm. Doom, which is, you know, seems crazy right there. Um, they all have to get their powers back, and that involves Ben, and Ben's more or less, I don't want to do it, and Reed's like, no, you've got to, because, you know, fuck you, basically. We'll lose otherwise. And Ben, in a fit of ferocity to just 
destroys Doom, like grabs his hands and tears them and is furious. And at the whole time is like kind of yelling at him, like you, you did this. And it's again, there's the transference like Kirby, like the visual storytelling is, is like Ben is so pissed off. He is, you know, he's taking it out on Doom, who is again, that sort of weird shadow opposite for Reed in the storytelling placement. But as better minds than I have pointed out, like the whole time Reed Richards is yelling stuff to people like, oh, Ben, stop it. You're doing it wrong. Like, you know, there's scenes where like he, he's like, Johnny, you've got to run and dodge, man, quick. And Johnny's like, wow, I've never known a guy like him. He's the best. And part of that is is Stan being Jesus, you know, trying to like make make this stuff seem as high stakes as possible. And part of it is his worship of the the idea of the alpha male but thinking about it i also had this thing of like i think that i think wonder to what extent some of reed richards telling everyone what to do basically um is this weird reflection of stan's kind of he's trying to hold together this ramshackle thing that is marvel comics and basically, like Kirby's the guy plotting the stories, and then and then Lee gets the stories in and, and has to fill in everything after the fact and cover up plot holes and take moments that he thinks are going to ring really false. And so, this is the first time I really ever thought of the extent to which Stan Lee himself was kind of this ball of frustration. And it sort of makes sense, I think, to me that I was like. I don't think I was a manager when I started reading the Lee Kirby FFs. And now that I am a manager, the amount of times that it's your job, you're like, oh, Jesus fucking Christ, just go there and do the thing. I told you to go there and do the thing. Why aren't you going there and doing the fucking thing? <laughs> oh, oh, my God. You know? You're, so you're saying Reed works really well as a really frustrated manager. Oh, completely. Reed is a total... He's Reed is completely the guy who's like cannot help micromanaging because the people in front of him are just doing it wrong and this is the thing he can't do it himself and that's that's the thing about stan lee and marvel comics right like he ditko's plotting kirby's plotting lee's taking the credit but he's having to like he's aware that he is he's he's part of the glue keeping it together so but he also can't do it on his own so he's like trapped in these partnerships and so consequently there's this nightmarish he doesn't have control of the wheel and so maybe somehow it turns out that in his stories the leadership is always right and is always able to yell out and do the tell people to do the right things at the last moment and they're like oh my god he's so dreamy you know like there's much more wish fulfillment going on in stanley the stanley's side of things than i ever really realized until you know i had to bite my tongue like half a dozen times a day you know i don't know <laughs> yes this was the episode that got jeff fired everyone in case you were ever wondering I... so. here's my favorite part like I think everything you're saying is is interesting and actually in many respects correct, but also weirdly tangential to Simon's and Stephen Oh, Reed. completely. Well, I guess what I mean is is just like once you look closely like, I, enough I, I, at I the FF, we, like I love how kind of we got from Simon's and says because I think what you're saying is spot on for everything up to Simon's and actually 
very much for for uh, Defalco's read as well. Interesting. Interesting. It's just like I feel like it's funny that it's come up in in one of the few <laughs> reads when it's not like. Engelhardt's read and Simonson's read are maybe the two that step outside of this. I think so too. Well, honestly, Engelhardt's read is the closest to the read that I like. Engelhardt's read could step away from it. Do you know what I mean? Like he could look beyond his frustration and trust other people to manage the company. Well, yes, there's, there's that. There's also just kind of, um, there was an interior life to Engelhardt's read Richards that was about carrying for other people and the Lee stuff really was kind of the you know like alpha male followed by the bathos pathetic self-pity that a lot of people followed in the template in Simonson's Simonson's read is very close to Burns read in that he is a hyper competent pulp hero um yeah and and in that sense is an aspirational figure for both Byrne and Simonson. Mm-hmm. And weirdly enough, in that case, the weird, the, what is really strange about that is the extent to which by doing so, they pretty much take Reed out of the Marvel com- Comics template. You know what I mean? Like your choice is either if you don't do the Stan Lee jerk version you know, and you're not the sort of person that's going to build something like the Englehart version of Reed. The Reed that's essentially left is kind of, um, at least at this point, uh, it is kind of a is kind of a the the leader of the flagship title of Marvel Comics that doesn't really seem to to be much of a Marvel comic character. Yeah. So anyway, my so my thesis that that is emerged, I guess, after all this Baxter building reading is is that the FF is ultimately is a beautiful Potemkin village, you know, of of a comic of a Marvel comic. It's not it really is not designed to be looked at carefully. It, It more or less all but falls over whenever there's a strong breeze blows. And that that is the case from issue one of the FF all the way through. What's amazing is when you do have someone like Kirby or Byrne or Simonson, where there's, where there's enough passion for the, for the craft of, of comics that, that it literally, um, that you feel like you're looking, you know, at something greater than, than the sum of its parts. But I think it, once you take that out of it, like it is, it, it is, it is that mysterious X factor, as they used to talk about, you know, where it just it doesn't it doesn't quite nothing hang nothing adds up otherwise. Talking about nothing yes. adding up otherwise. <laughs> let's go to uh, three fifty three. Yes. First of all, I would like to point out it has such a, an impressively generic cover. Yes. That I think we should all. You know, really, really applaud. What is great about that is it then goes from a, a fairly generic cover to a great splash page and yes. a great double page splash. Afterwards. Oh my god! Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is just called "So Little Time, So Much to Do." Or if I could save time in a Klein bottle, because again, or this is the, sadly the final or of of his run. Oh, and the FF have been captured in the previous issue by Justice Peace, who, as I said, is a Just Dread kind of analog less so here than he was when he appeared in, in thor 
but uh, he is working for the Time Variance Authority and has captured the FF because they are basically uh, fucking up uh, the Time Variance Authority's plans. The opening arc of the Simonson run was, of course, that the time bubble was uh, going to destroy time, going, going to destroy the universe, mm-hmm. and the FF prevented that from happening. And we find out now that it was meant to happen. The mm-hmm. Time Variance Authority had actually set that in process to happen, to just close off this, this particular version of the universe. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're pretty pissed that the FF have stopped it. And so they, they, they would, I was going to say, would throw the book at them, but I realized that I'm looking at the pages where Ben instead <laughs> throws a chair at the Time Variance Authority because he's so mad and gets them put in literal timeouts <laughs> in, in white space. In null space, as a result, uh, page eleven on the the GIT core scans is the page where you see them floating in space, and it's just a lovely page. Mm-hmm. The, the art in these last two issues for Simonson is especially fun and playful and well designed. There are some really really nice bits. At one point, reads and especially Sharon, who again wildly out of character puts on a fake southern accent and starts flirting with the Time Variance Authority. Uh, why? Like, maybe there's an in-joke happening there. That's all I could think. Like, there's a Mark Grunewald in-joke happening. Because it makes no sense otherwise. Um, but they're giving a tour of the Time Variance Authority as a result. And uh, at one point, they're showing essentially, like, where where abandoned universes go. Mm-hmm. And you can see Supergirl. Yes floating amongst the earth that have been thrown away which is super fun you know you get a lot of that it's it's a fun issue that nonetheless feels very light and throwaway well again because you've got your villain the tva all the bureaucrats of the tva look like mark grunwald they're more or less you know one of them is so susceptible to the flirtations of Sherry that are utterly transparent that he's like oh sure I'm going to give you a tour around here like there's such a it seems ridiculous that it could be any sort of genuine threat because you know in part because the TVA are so confident of their powers and their abilities that they um, literally can't view the FF as a threat but it, it gives such a weird jovial avuncular air to the first half of the comic while the FF are in theory prisoners and more or less, you know, marked for death, not just their death, but the death of our universe that it kind of doesn't, I don't know. In any event, it's, it is, it's such a fun issue. And I have to say again, for the formalist in me, and I'll keep this brief because of course my digression totally threw everything off page 15 of the GIT, um, uh, scans, which is where we see uh, Supergirl being dumped out into the ether. One of the things that I love is Simonson's design on these pages in particular. He has the pipework of this um, basically processing the, the TVA, uh, the, the pipeworks that lead up to the, the ejection of the detritus of these universes become the gutters on the page. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I kind of love the idea that Simonson sort of like, yeah, like to me, it's kind of like, oh, 
again, in comics, you're literally the the gutter is what gets rid of all the time between one panel and the next. So, which is why it's so interesting. On again, looking at the GIT score uh, on page eighteen, mm-hmm. when the FF are floating in null time. Yes, there's no panel. Like there's no panel border. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, they it, there's a few points where he literally has to do it for his storytelling, but more often than not, um I just there is a way in which the the TVA people are they literally are comics because they are the they are the process by which um all of the little non-minutes of time get chewed up and all that's left is you know, your your the the your comic book pages it's kind of delightful and and again sort of there's so much that's on in these comics i know graham you're not a big fan (laughs) or i should say you're the sort of person that would be in no way surprised by this but there's so much here that lays the groundwork for alan moore's supreme run um oh no i I think that's actually i think you're, you're that's right Mm-hmm. Uh, or at least it's maybe not laying the groundwork because I'd be very surprised if, if Moore read this. Oh, really? But yeah, I, 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 it just doesn't seem something he would he would be interested in, to be perfectly honest. Interesting. Okay. But it's it's definitely thinking along parallel lines. Mm-hmm. You know that, and and I want to say, and I could be totally wrong. I want to say that Supreme and this are both drawing off another source and i'm not sure what that source is but it just there's something about this issue that makes me think it's it's acknowledging another source but i don't know what that source is which is which is which would also sort of make sense it wouldn't surprise me but for myself looking at um page 14 of the git core where they they are flying out the departure gate for the politically corrected repatriated refugees returning to the original timelines i'm like Oh, this is, this is, this is, that's this, that's the Supreme City or Supremium or whatever, just as the discarding of the universes on the very next page is such a crucial part of, of more Supreme run. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, it is, maybe I'm, I'm, you know, doing Alan a dirty note for the first time <laughs> and he, he, he is a massive Supreme, uh, he is a massive Fantastic Four fan. Or more likely, a massive Simon uh, fan. fan. See, yeah. and that's what I would think would be um, much more likely. But yeah. even so, like it's it just, I, 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 it doesn't like I, that. I didn't make that connection. Mm. It's, it's very possible, right? Mm-hmm. Um, did you see that Mark Grunewald gets a thanks on the letters page? Yes, which I thought was was very fun and generous in that sense. Uh, they say special thanks are due this issue to Mark Grunwald for dedication above and beyond the call of duty. I'm not going to explain why, but anyone who knows him can figure it out. And he was a pip about the whole thing, which I thought was pretty lovely, especially considering it's like Mark Grunwald, like on the last page, like hiding behind a wall with a bullhorn. I mean, honestly, a lot of it kind of remind this, some of this stuff in part because of the endless bureaucracy kind of reminds me of terry gilliam's brazil right like yeah i can i can see that mm-hmm. which and, and it's a very it's a very um cartoonish bureaucracy for one of better way of putting it yeah 
you know, absurd. Maybe I want to say absurd rather than cartoonish. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's a bureaucracy that has power because it believes it has power. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you stop to question it, you see it as the absurdity that it is. Right. But the 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 humor slash horror is that nobody stops to, to nobody stops to question it. Yeah, right. You know, um, we should say that the end of the issue is that after their tour. And the FF break free of the uh, their jail in in null space, and go on the rampage, or at least Ben and Johnny go on the rampage, while Sue and Reeds are basically working at a computer trying to introduce a virus into the system. Worth pointing out again after my complaining, Sharon disappears from this comic halfway through the issue. Yeah, she exists to flirt with Time Variant Smart Grunwald. And then she isn't even imprisoned with the rest of the team. And there is more or less a line of dialogue being like, she's she's safe. Mm-hmm. And then she's never mentioned again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, which again, just is, is to be generous. Simonson knows this is the second last issue he's run and he just wants to work with the classic FF. Mm-hmm. I think that's arguably over generous because yeah. even with that reading, he just hand waves Sharon away. Mm-hmm. It literally is. I'd see that creep didn't send Cherry back to stand in the corner either. Then she'll be safe enough for the time being. And that's it. Yeah. It's like, what do you, what do you mean? It'd be amazing. It's like the, the whole Ouroboros cycle. Like, Sherry emerges from this whole situation after having been, you know, more or less molested by the TVA people being like, no, I hate men. I cannot be. I'm traumatized by men. You know. And then... Ben turns to the reader and goes, here we go again. Here we go again. <laughs> that would be uh, so Anyway, <laughs> the, the issue ends with, as Jeff said, Mark Grunwald hiding behind a pillar, basically uh, bribing Ben by going, we can just stop the accident happening. You don't have to be a thing at all. Right. And uh, Johnny being like, you're not going to fall for that, are you? Are you? Spoilers. No, he's not. Well, but part of me is like, he turned himself voluntarily into the thing. Just... Two issues yeah. before, like, yeah. how can that throw? How, how? I mean, talk about false jeopardy. Like, why would right. you even think that that would carry us an inch of heft? You know. Again, this comic looks wonderful. I really want to call out the at this point super mutated thing. Yeah. That Simon has created, who looks fucking amazing. Just so good, so fucking great. Oh my god! It really, really looks good and. I'm really sad that he didn't stick around. Mm-hmm. This particular didn't stick around because he kind of looks like a lizard more than anything else. Well, you know, it's kind of funny how much he looks like the version that they were shooting for in the Englehart version. And, but more so. But more so, like crossed, exactly. Crossed with like a, a, a dinosaur or something. Well, he's got he's got the extra toe on the back of his foot. Right. See, this is the thing that's great. Is is and that is that thing of like it's hard for me to believe in a way that, you know, that maybe Simonson did read the Engelhart stuff and then finally got around to dissing it, but was also kind of like, but I can figure out. I know how to make that version of the thing work. So I'm going to draw that version and it looks great. There's just so many sections and periods where it's, it's, uh, it's fucking awesome. It really is amazing how much there's areas where it's like, it, 
it sometimes it looks like just Simonson's doodle. Sometimes it looks like it's a Barry Windsor Smith interpretation, like like a real Euro or Mobius style impersonation. And then sometimes it'll just be like kind of a doodle of rocks. And it and it but it all looks great in a in a way that is amazing how much bless their heart you know milgram and Sinnott were kind of able to hint at but not able to deliver in this way you know yeah there's there's just some lovely 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 stuff going on in here three 354 uh the cross time express sadly not an or and there really should be an or yeah, there I, should I, be. I miss i miss the or or where'd that it's... train come from <laughs> sorry there you go yeah it feels if the previous three issues have felt rushed in their own way yes. and i think all of them have with the possible exception of 350 um this feels amazingly rushed in multiple ways not least of which it's the, the opening is super odd mm-hmm. the opening of this issue is essentially ben turns down the the offer of of not going through the accident after remembering oh that's right galactus would appear and eat the planet Mm-hmm. If, if we didn't get our powers, Galactus would just eat the planet. That's that's bad. Well, even more to the point, it wasn't that it would eat the planet. That that Mobius, uh, that Galactus would destroy the universe. That essentially they wouldn't oh, prevent that, the yeah. destruction of the timeline in FF three forty one. You are entirely right. I yeah. just remembered the Galactus part. But you're right. It's it's a specifically call it to Simonson's run. Right. Um, and then. They're attacked by more monsters, because of course they are. Justice Peace attacks Reed and Sue, who are still working with their, their various attempts to, to introduce the virus into the system. And it all feels very frantic and yet not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, it, it feels unconvincing, shall we say. Mm-hmm. You know, and so you get you get a lot of formal play. The the virus that Reed has, has created causes time ripples which are literal visual ripples yeah which is you, great it, again it's lovely formal play yeah but it's very slight the in the middle of all this uh sharon reappears she's still talking with mark Grunwald, who reveals that he is responsible for turning the fantastic four powers off in the island mm-hmm. in that storyline and they're also responsible for the island which is so off-handed mm-hmm. that it's it's like did you just realize that that story made no sense and you're trying to explain it away now I, or was it, this to be more of a reveal and yeah. it didn't land right oh it lands so off like it's kind of like but why like all he does is point out in two balloons what of course was just reminding us which is that the island storyline made no sense He's like, I knew we should have left the Fantastic Four's powers turned off on the Mesozoic Island, and allowing them to part at all was an even bigger mistake. And I'm like, but then why? Like, why? Like, why at all? There's no, there's no explanation as to why that. There was no explanation in the story. Why did it happen? And it's but also whole, like, why did it happen? Yes. Why did Why did you set up the island? Like, it just opens up more questions. Yeah. Yeah, completely. And and which is hilarious. It's like, here's the moment for Simonson to tie it together. And he literally just points to the fact that it's it pulls it's pulled apart. I yay. So, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I got to say, I, I know you think it's slight. But again, the little formalistic trick of the time virus turning it into 
just these beautiful pages. I love the, I love that Sherry turns around and like flips, does this, this judo throw to Mark Gronwald. And, and that's the, that's the page that gets, that gets cut up. You know, that's the panel that again, Simonson by putting the, the image in the center and then slicing up the edge of the panels, um, it makes it completely cohesive uh, and co it's like it, these are not hard pages to read um, and they're super great to look at. For me, it's when you get to they manage to more or less as they, they're running and they're running and basically they pull into the old railroad yard and read with a big grin is like, yes. Okay, unexpected. I the train. Yeah, it's the Cross Time Central okay. Railroad, Ben, and this is the express. And I'm just like, uh, and this was the part where I was just like, okay, what the fuck did you just do, Walt Simonson? Literally, it was just that's the the these were the pages where I was like, yeah. here's here's the other thing that's interesting about this. It's a cross time train, right? Yeah. Earlier on, maybe a couple of issues before, someone in the letters page says, Walt Simonson's touching on a lot of things that Chris Clemens X-Men is, Excalibur is touching on in the cross-time capers. Mm. And the the response is, oh, Walt's not read those issues. <laughs> and what's super interesting is that like two issues later, we then get the cross-time train. And Jeff, I don't know if you remember the cross-time caper in Excalibur. I did not read it. So, but there's a train. Wow. Wow. I guess all the more reason for them to be like, no, we have no idea what you are talking about with your train. Because honestly, just tie it in there. Because I don't, again, I feel well, I, like. I also wonder when did Back to the Future 3 come out? Mm, oh, maybe, maybe that's it. I feel like it was a little later than this, but maybe I'm completely. Cause come course... on, Internet. Tell us. Back to the Future Part 3 came out in 1990. So oh, there you go. There you go. Simonson literally saw Back to the Future 3 and then thought, a time train? That's a great idea. Right. I want to draw a time train. And I want to put, uh, I don't know, is it DR or is it Quinch? I can't tell. In in in, in, a, in a hat in, 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 the, in the conductor's seat. And call him Casey. Oh, that's neither. That's you know who that is? That's fucking bug from the Micronauts, Jeff. No, no, absolutely not, absolutely not. Sorry, it's. I think we should have a contest. Like exactly, who does this look most like? Listeners, Casey, the strange character that appears out of nowhere with the train that appears out of nowhere that Reed seems to know everything about for reasons that do not make any sense to me at all. Well, no, I, no, that actually does make sense because remember he was on the computer for all that time. Like he could have just looked up and found it. it he existed. was on That's a computer fine. the whole time. He was saying he was like, I'm barely able to make sense of yeah, this to create. It, no, it's, he fucking I, creates a virus and he's able to more or less save the universe and himself from the TV and you're like oh yeah and at the meantime he's also able to ugh, look. yeah i'm i i i that is one of the lesser plot holes for me in this oh my god for which me, maybe talk, yeah. which maybe talks about how many plot holes there are in this story. well that's it that is it i mean it, it it is it is to call this a story at this particular juncture I oh, think it's called it, it's called this this issue Mm -hmm. A coherent story. Yes. Polite. Yeah. Yep. It's not. It's being deceptive, Graham. It's being. (laughs) 
Uh, so anyway, in case you're wondering, the FF hop on the cross time uh, express and um, Justice Peace and his dudes all pop up and start chasing the train as it's as it's chugging along, you know, through space as you do. Um, the one thing that I do think is kind of sad is Justice Peace is, you know, able to battle his way up until he hits Sue, who's, you know, unintentionally about to kill him. Um, but then, unfortunately, there's a giant wave that begins chasing them. The uh, it's the it's the delayed action worm program in the TVA computers. Uh, it's designed to dis to destroy all references to to the FF's timeline. But since it's activated, it's now just altering the very fabric of reality. It is interesting to me how this run has one of the all-time great we are racing a wave of extinction sequences and then ends with probably one of the all-time worst racing the wave of extinction sequences i mean is it just me or i mean well this this is the third time they've been racing the wave of extinction is in it the, the third? In Tron. yeah well there's also they're getting away from the islands as the islands is, is disintegrating Oh, I guess that's true. I don't really think of that one so much because, I don't know, because those are the issues of the FF that I'm going to forget exist. Let's put it that no, way. No, but but it's it's interesting that he keeps re repeating that trope, you yes. know? Mm -hmm. And, and uh, to the point where, is it intentional or is he literally just repeating himself? Yeah. You know, when you do it three times, you've got to think that it's intentional, right? Well, I don't know. I mean... Three times in like a year and a half? Well, for that matter, it's, you know, how many times did he have like the, the you know, the femme men fatale. be, yeah, the femme, femme fatale, like, you know, dupe the unsuspecting dude, you know, for that matter. Well, yeah, but what's interesting is, oh, there's two things really interesting about the last two pages. Besides the fact that, again, stunningly rushed, like, mm -hmm. amazingly rushed. Yeah. Um, but... A, I feel that it's literally a repeat with mild variation on the end of the the time bubble story. Mm -hmm. Yes. Like that they bounce back into the Baxter building. Oh, in a you're bubble. right. They literally do bounce back in a bubble, don't they? Yep. Right? Mm -hmm. And thing number two, why do they strip? What What is that? Well, I, 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 I don't get it. Uh, listeners who are not reading these these issues, the the second last page devotes half a page yep. to the fact that when they're re-entering the universe, they have to take off their clothes. Yep, they have to because take because the yep. fabric will be carefully unravelled and rewoven into railroad garments made from genuine cloth of earth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what? Yeah. Yep. Like, <laughs> what is that? I mean, I don't get it. Do like again. Is there a strange joke being played here? Uh, yes. Also, also, Ben turns back into his classic thing form for no reason. See, and I think that's the big tip-off. To me, that's the big tip-off. Is Tip-off towards what, though? To Toward the reboot button. Like, they are literally landing. This is to bring back the classic blue uniform instead of the dark blue and white. It's going to, and maybe not, but I feel like Simonson yeah, is don't. just, 
well, but I think he he either because I mean the thing that he may have because that's the thing that I thought was really interesting was when I jumped to the letters page here I was like I'll be really curious to see what the little farewell note to Walt Simonson is on this or the farewell note there from Walt Simonson at all at all and I think that Simonson is after doing the Engelhart thing he is pretty much like I'm giving the next person as much of a tabula rasa as possible. You've got regular Ben Grimm thing. You do not have, you ha literally have no costumes. They can go with their co whatever costume they want. Sherry is, you know, human and non-neurotic apparently. And you can, you can go wherever you want out. to go. Well, yeah, right. I mean, no, it, it, she is like by the time DeFalco starts, she's gone from the book. Oh, man. Like they don't give her any like I, I read the first issue of the DeFalco run and she's she's like they just mentioned that she she took off. So it's like 356 shows up at, and there's like there's just no no real she's not there at all. huh? Yeah. Yeah. She's just gone. Wow. That's just. And maybe shitty. she comes back later in the run. And I suspect that she does. I seem to remember she does show up some, at some point. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it, it's um, she's just gone from 356, mm -hmm. which is just you and I are massive Engelhart apologists. Yeah. I think that's that's fair to say. Mm -hmm. But the lack of respect given to what he did with Sharon. <laughs> You know, I th I think the thing that sort of bothers me is by the end, I would have to say that I'm a Sharon fan. And I didn't, I did not, I remember not liking the character when reading it casually and enjoying sort of Engelhart's moxie during the course of his run. But then be in part because, and this is what frustrates me so much, is Simonson really does see the use and utility of making of of having a character that's not read be a smart person to be able to do a number of factors you know whether that's exchange exposition or or just be kind of be sane like and that that i so i'm i really am appalled but I'm also kind of not surprised because at this point it's like once Simonson more or less throws her to the wolves, like what the hell else is anyone else going to do to her? You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. Si Simonson has pretty much like deadened the character. Mm -hmm. Jeff, we finished the Simonson run. Yes. Uh, I am still of the opinion that it started really strong and then faded. <laughs> I think I think that it fa I, like I think the end is a disaster. You know, it's kind of funny because I, there's there's <laughs> such high points in it, but there's also such low points. Well, see, that's it. Whereas I'm kind of like I feel like there were I feel like that sort of sums up the Simonson run for me. At least for me, there was something that, and I hate to think that it's just like I'm such a mindless formalist that the the formalistic shenanigans in, in 352 and to an extent 353 are are what jazz me up um but i mean there's other bits like the return of doom or whatever but i i think the fact is for me it's like simonson's just an incredibly mixed bag and if you 
pay attention to the good stuff and you can forget or ignore the bad stuff, it seems pretty great. And I feel like it's that way for all of the Simonson stuff, even with, with Art Adams. Like, you know, if you're an Art Adams fan, like, that's going to do it for you. Like, Graham, for fuck's sake, do you... I... Sorry, this is going to come off more loaded than I intend, but, like, surely these issues aren't any more of a mess than the Mesozoic Island two-parter, right? Oh, I think they are. Wow. Do you know why? Because th that, those issues are coherent if dull and these are exciting but incoherent dude you gotta go back and i don't know i'm not sure that that really holds any water at all but okay all right i mean that's you know that's that's i i'm basically saying that i think that i think that simonson the the only thing that more or less separates the issues is the amount of time that Simonson has to put into them and like I said I feel that when you get you know a course of a couple of issues that you know push Byrne under the bus and Englehart under the bus and make Mark Grunwald kind of your villain like in whatever good-natured way and are all but putting up huge signs pointing to the fact that that Marvel Comics has become uh, an intolerable bureaucracy. Um, you know, apart from that sort of, I mean, that sort of churlishness, uh, or maybe not even real churlishness, but, but because Simonson's uh, deep reservoir of wit kind of doesn't save him this time, I think that's the, I think that's the only real difference for me. You know, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I and I'm willing to actually put up with it because because there's stuff that he's doing with the art that I just I just love more than his dinosaurs. So <laughs> I think that's I know I, I think that's fair. I just honestly, I just have such I it really is. And this is the dumbest thing, but it really is the weird pissing on stories that aren't that old. That really sticks in my my throat here. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. It's as it is kind of. It's a surprisingly. It's a surprisingly nasty turn, and it and it ultimately ends up being a book that. Again, like because Simonson is has such an acclaimed run on Thor is such a you know well-considered well-regarded guy and but for all intents and purposes has had a successful marriage with another comics professional for so long um it's really easy to kind of not want to look at the fact that he his the way he treats the women characters throughout the run is really problematic you know it ends up it, it, it is it is like weirdly creepy and something that for me at least like once i noticed i couldn't unnotice mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. do you know what i mean yeah. like there comes a moment where we're like he's really treating sue shitly and then every issue after i'm like he just he he can't write sue mm -hmm. and he can't write alicia mm -hmm. and he you know it's either sharon who he really fucks with and also utterly rewrites the personality of so she becomes a more two-dimensional character yep or it's it's a femme fatale it's a femme fatale yeah and and his femme fatales are mean 
which I think is interesting too. It's not kind of the, you know, Jessica Rabbit, I'm just drawn that way kind of thing. Like Nebula is an asshole and uh, what's her doodle, the the scroll lady who, who, you know, in the Art Adams issues is even worse, you know? So it's, it's 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 a little problematic as the kids say it's it's a it's there's a there's a problematic fave factor there that i'm kind of surprised is not looked at more but i guess you know considering like you said a lot of people don't seem to really seem to overlook this run maybe that's not surprising i guess yeah it's just i honestly came out of this liking this run less which really saddens me because i in my memory i liked this run a lot yeah yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel weirdly betrayed by it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, it's, it's beautiful. You and I have said this all the way through. Like, the art is incredible. And the art, I think, actually peaks in these four issues. Oh, God, yeah. Um, But I remembered it being, and I remember this really specifically, I remembered it being, for me, a, a signpost to a prologue of a Persker of, the um what morrison did with justice league mm, mm-hmm. you know and it's mm-hmm. it's really not now that i look back at it mm, mm-hmm. you know morrison for all his faults and all his own um you know obsessions and incoherence plays everything a lot more straight mm-hmm. well- uh Sorry, on you go. No, no, no. I I was going to interrupt as I do because I I see your point, but I do think I when you when you make that comparison, I also get it. Like this is this is a, this is a run that started off with, you know, uh, literally the Fantastic Four. It's not just the Fantastic Four. They also pile in Iron Man and Thor and strap themselves to a time sled and and throw themselves into the future. Like, it's. It it definitely has that Morrison's JLA aesthetic it, of more is more. Yes, you know? exactly. It it has the um, every mission is a big mission. Like yes. even the small missions have massive impact. Right. You know, and 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 also the everyone is involved. Mm-hmm. You know, because you have Thor and Iron Man in the first storyline. Then, like you know, not even ten issues later, you have. Oh, I guess it is. I guess it's a year later. Yeah. You have um, Spider-Man and Wolverine and Hulk and Ghost Rider. Mm-hmm. You know? With the Mole Man and the Scrolls and Monster right. Island in there. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is this, like, you know, it's all happening. It's all happening here. Right. Which I love. Mm-hmm. But when you look past, like, the high concept and mm-hmm. get to the execution, there's, it's just, it's weirder, which is both a plus and a minus. Right. Like weirder as a in general, sure, mm-hmm. let's make superhero comics weird. They should be. They're they're ultimately weird concepts. Right. But maybe not this particular flavor of weird. Well, you know, I, I think that I have to say if we if we were making comparisons in that regard, I think that one of the things that really helps is Morrison well there's Morrison is a DC fanboy and is a fan of the characters that he's writing, but he also makes it a point to become a fan of the characters that he's writing. You know, such a not only characters, the 
concept. Like it, it, he he goes beyond characters that he can, he can be like you know uh, in Rock of Ages the Warlock. Mm-hmm. Like the Warlock appeared in one fucking Jack Kirby comic, you know, twenty years earlier. Yeah, right, right. No, yeah. I mean, there's there's so much where it's like the Ultra Humanite, and uh, you know, it's the Injustice League, and just so much. But to me, I think what I mean is also kind of, I love Wally West and Kyle Rayner in in there. You know what I mean? Like. They never get the, you know, oh, you weren't the real Flash after all, push under the bus at the, at the you end You mean of the in the same way that, that Simonson does for Sharon? Yes. You know? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of glib. Although, although, a one-to-one comparison, but... Although, let's, let's, let's be equally glib. Morrison, I think, has as many problems writing female characters as Simonson does. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. I mean... <laughs> I'm like, yes. Or maybe he, Morrison has his own problem writing female characters. Yeah, yeah, he definitely has his own problems, and they're significant. more comfortable with that. Yeah, yeah, I think so because uh, it's really hard for me walking out of these to be like, oh yeah, they're just as bad. I'm like, mm. so well, it's true. Like walking out of this, it really is like, huh? And also, part it really makes me want to go back and read Simonson's Thor, which obviously is a single character. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm like, yeah, now I feel like I want to reread that to see how he treats the Enchantress and the Enchantress's little sister. Because I feel that's going to be far creepier now that I've recognized his problems with women in, in these issues. Well, it's kind of interesting because he has the stuff going on with Sif and the Enchantress and, you know, there's there's roles for Hela. It feels like he's got a lot more space in the narrative, he's aware that the the Thor narrative needs to have the space for the female characters in it, and you know the F the this run of the FF just kind of feels like I don't know, like it's just this boys' club. You know what I mean? Like it just you see the characters all running toward you, and as as they you know close up and fill up the screen, the the women characters at the edges are just kind of you know right off right off to the side and. In a best case scenario, I guess. So I don't know. I don't know. I know what you mean. Like finishing this part of me was also kind of like, yeah, I really should tackle those Thors. And part of me is also like, yeah, I kind of get why Simonson works much better for me in a DC context than a Marvel context. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. here's the funny thing, Jeff. Do you really want to do the villain issues? <laughs> you know, I actually to... that's not true. I don't want to do 351 because I think 351 was honestly the most forgettable comic I think either of us have ever read. You know, on the one hand, you are right. On the other hand, I found myself reading it being like, I don't know, just kind of rooting for Len Kaminsky, which I don't think I've ever felt or... Len Len Kaminsky, who, by the way, becomes the assistant editor of this book in these issues. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I think he he took a he took a swing at it. I mean, there's not really anything to 351, I mean at all. There, the, there really isn't. It's yeah. called Strange Interlude and it is with the very best will in the world the most generic villain issue ever. Yeah. In that cosmic entities decide to test the Fantastic Four to show them how ingenious humans can be. The end. Well, but I mean, there's kind of this idea that sort of the 
there's maybe to me there's half a good idea there which is just essentially because they're cosmic entities they put the ff on a planet of traps which again ff trope really is like oh you're going to split up the characters and put them in impossible trap situations that's happened a million times before but the the difference being like what if you take out the quality that they're most known for what's going to happen once you once you take away um, and and this is where the story falls because to me Kaminsky's like okay you take aside Mr. Fantastic's you remove his superhuman intellect you remove the invisible woman's vast capacity for compassion the tremendous courage of the thing and the human torch's innate aggressiveness and then it's sort of like what happens when they're then in those situations the sort of you know typical trap sort of situations they run into I it's one of those classic cases where for me by page three I'm like I don't think of the thing as courageous I think he's closer to aggressive like sure Mr. Fantastic superhuman intellect fine but it's like the invisible woman's vast capacity for compassion like I was like is that her Dominant See, uh, character uh, honestly, honestly, all of those work for me with the exception of aggression for for the human torch. Yeah, right. Like I just like like that's the but that's the only one that doesn't work for me. The aggression for the human torch, compassion for Sue, fine. Intellect for Reed, fine. Uh, courage for Ben. I mean, eh. Yeah, like see? I might give, I honestly might give him compassion, but sure, I can see c- courage for him. I can see aggression for Johnny makes no sense. Exactly, exactly. Like it's like his temper or his impulsiveness, you know, maybe. And for the thing, also who kind of also has temper problems, or um, like you said, compassion, you know. But Sue's Sue's thing, I, I, I just, I don't know. So in any event. So basically what happens is you see them in various situations and I suppose it's fun watching them act out of character. And then, of course, because they're the FF, they do different things differently. And, of course, they're awesome. And in a way, it's very much like a super fill-in, super-powered version of something that you might see at the opening. Like, it seems like the rejected opening of one of those, like, video game comics that they were always promoting back now. Oh, you know? oh yeah, entirely. It's like, it's Quest Probe. Yeah. It, what happens? You are the Fantastic Four. Yep, exactly. So, so it was, it was, yeah, it's mighty underwhelming. But I did want to mention that I, I felt like, bless his heart, Kaminsky's really trying. You know, he really is doing a bunch of stuff. His descriptions of as he's trying to get into because most of the stories are told inside the characters heads, too. And and like inside their characters while being narrated by another cosmic entity. So how do I put it? I guess I guess the way that you would describe it, Graham, which is not inaccurate, is, is that it's a bad way to tell a story. But at least it's an attempt to tell a story that, and so I have to appreciate that. Also, if you're looking at the GIT core versions of this, there's a full page ad where you can win a customized Silver Surfer jet ski, and there's an illustration of the Silver Surfer on a jet ski, and that's 
kind of the best thing ever. And it's an ad for the <laughs> Nintendo video game too. So <laughs> I love that that is your takeaway. Well, there's the, there's the video, the Silver Surfer video game followed by the Silver Surfer high score contest. I kind of love that. Like in 1991, they were like the Silver Surfer. That's the that's the guy we've got to go with. Well, the thing but, is, is it's not to throw you off. They're both ads for the same thing. It is so, for the yeah, Nintendo that, no, video game. But that that's exactly. what I mean. Like it's so nuts to me that they were like, yeah, let's do a video game with the Silver Surfer. Like, whoa, and let's promote it by giving away a jet ski. Yeah. A jet ski. No, I know. That is true. And it is weird. But it just made you think, like, God only knows what kind of, like, deals were being made. Exactly. What, what was that meeting like? <laughs> exactly. And where can we get the cocaine from it? Because it must have been pretty high class stuff. Uh, FF355, Graham. Let's see you describe this one. Oh, it's FF355 is great. Rage. Rage. There, there's not an exclamation point, so there should be. So let's just go rage. <laughs> it's by Danny Fingeroth, penciled by Al Milgram, inked by Nella Morglim, which anyone will know is an anagram of Alan Milgram. <laughs> Why they couldn't just say that he's penciled it again? I don't know. Yeah. But it's a... Uh, it's a heartwarming story. It, the story occurs before the events depicted in Thor 418. Says reference to Ralph, which is their way of saying, yeah, it's it's a record story, but the record's already been used in another comic, and we forgot that. Yep. Just ignore it. Yep. Short version: the record has been released from prison. Want revenge on Thunderball, who sold him down the river. Thunderball no longer has his superpowers and is inexplicably being hidden by the authorities in Yancey Street. Mm-hmm. Think that's weird? It gets better. The like high security prison on Nancy Street is the building next door to Ben Grimm's childhood apartment <laughs> that he just happens to be visiting at the time where he meets uh shall we say stereotypical uh working class family who are so kind they ha- they don't have much but they're helping they're letting him into their lives anyway. Yep. Spoilers the small child who worships Ben will die by the end of the comic. Which is uh, amazing. Record, yeah. The Wrecker attacks the building that is holding uh, Thunderball. It demolishes the next door building. Just happens to be Ben's child's at home. Kills the kid. Although he's not dead yet. He actually doesn't die until the very end of the comic. Just mortally wounds the kid. Yep. Uh, which causes Ben to confront the Wrecker, leading to a pointless fight scene. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty much, what, six pages of the record punching, uh, hitting him with a crowbar, going, this will get you. And Ben Grimm going, it's almost got me, but no, I've got to stay strong for the kids. <laughs> and then eventually punching the record, going for the kids. He doesn't say for the kids, but that's what everyone is thinking. Yeah. Uh, and then they, they pull him away and then the kid dies right in front of Ben Grimm. Yep. Think that's tragic? So does Ben, until, I shit you not, he finds a piece of graffiti he wrote as a kid, and it's like, I got a lot to think about. The end. Yeah. It's astounding. <laughs> what I love is how much, because this, this fill-in is written by D- Danny Fingeroth, they spell his name correctly, but he isn't he the same one who more or less does... Yes, the Danny Fingeroth fill-in from... I mean, it was only like what six months ago, six no. months earlier than this. What's it? No, 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 no. That 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 wasn't the fill-in issue. Like three forty-two. Hang on, I can, even, I can even check. 
I can even check. Oh, it was. It was 3.32. So it's literally a year earlier. Yeah, exactly. It's literally a year earlier. But you were convinced at the time that it was a fill-in from like this, he, like a tryout from the start of his career because you thought no, like no comic book professional could write something this bad, and he clearly did because he does it again here. Well, okay, honestly, also, yeah. The second thing in a row where it's a solo story where a kid dies. Yes, I love that. I love the idea that Danny Fingeroth's like sort of tipping his hand and being like, the only way anyone can find the FF uh, interesting at all is by showing. Uh, basically your childhood dying right before your eyes. Like, like there's just something like that's sort of your, the, the hidden theme of all of Danny Fingeroth's FF stories is like, ah, the FF Kill them all. beloved <laughs> by children who will die, you know? So that, that's the daddy Fingeroth yeah. promise. <laughs> Kill the kids. <laughs> fucking, you looking up to a superhero, you fucking gonna die. Oh uh, yeah. I also have to say, um, Milgram is fascinating to me in this issue because he's, of course, inking himself. And there's like a weird, like, Kirby but rougher kind of handle to some of the the fight scenes. And there's something, it kind of reminds me of Dean Haspiel's work in a way. And, and I, I don't... I kind of weirdly like it. I kind of weirdly like it too. Exactly. It's 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 got a lot of fucking vigor to it which is great considering he he leaves Ben's rocky eyebrows off him or can't figure out how to draw them straight on and so Ben looks so off brand it's uh when when unless you're seeing him in profile it's it's disturbing it's genuinely throws me off every time but that being said, like it's got a weird kind of rangy energy to it that 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 you know honestly was a shame if it had been three fifty if this had been issue three fifty one um after Simonson's little swan song instead of you know i mean before instead of just after because boy does it suffer by comparison in that sense you know so i i taken uh outside of simonson-esque yeah like this is the, for me at least visually the best of the villains oh god yeah uh, it uh, looks great but also like weirdly as a whole as uh, even with the you know there really is like a six page pointless fight scene which is the thing just gets hit by a crowbar repeatedly for six pages <laughs> Yep. That's not an exaggeration either. Like it really is about six pages of that. Yeah, yeah. But even with that, this feels like the most successful of all the villains. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I guess I think so. I mean, because honestly, I I found stuff boring. Um, the story itself well, being not, kind of boring. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not saying that it's good, right, Jeff? I'm just saying it's the most successful of the villains. No, no, which no. Is no. To I say agree. Yes. The other ones were really, <laughs> really horrible. Okay, point taken. I also love some of the stuff that that uh, the the colorist is doing on here, like the Kevin Tinsley, not a name that I'm familiar with at all. It's probably an anagram of Al Milgram. Probably, in which case, God bless Al Milgram for coloring his own work, because he does some great stuff where there's just sort of like um, fields of color. You know, just kind of chunk in in like rough chunks. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the the weird like um, just 
just like odd massive pink stripes for no reason yeah pink stripes are like on page 16 of the git there's a thing where uh the wreckers like ripping the the floor out of the ground like the special security door and there's like just these cut cut shapes of orange color behind him like great like weird silhouettes of color around some of the characters and yeah those streaks those weird stripes really kind of enjoyable i gotta say that really it it was a fun comic to look at even though it was a goddamn chore to read thanks al milgram and kevin tinsley <laughs> you made you made what is otherwise a pretty shitty comic worthwhile yep i i would agree and that's it graham we actually did talk about those as well now we are done Hooray! Woohoo! hey good news oh, listeners my hey, hey oh ff hooray or however it goes i don't know uh so <laughs> My understanding Jeff. is is that everything gets great from here on out. Like it's, it's all... all much better after this. Yes, it, it's uh, what can we say? It's 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 a blinder. It's like look forward to some classic comics coming soon. Sixty-one issues of ice cream in a row. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> but what flavor of ice cream? That's the question. <laughs> that time we're not even doing that. Next time we're doing annuals. Yeah, and it's going to get wacky because we're getting to the point where annuals crossed over with like annual storylines. Oh Jesus! Okay. Uh, so we're going to do issue uh, annual number nineteen, mm -hmm. and then we've already done annuals twenty and twenty-one because they were Engelhart annuals. Mm -hmm. Then we're going to do annuals twenty-two, twenty-three, and twenty-four. Okay. People might go. That's okay, right? Twenty-two is an Atlantis attacks crossover. Oh Jesus. 23 is a Days of Future Past crossover. It's not called that. What's it called? Days of Future Present, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Days of Future Present. It's part one, so we won't read parts two, three, or four. <laughs> That'll be fine. And then uh, 24 is uh, part one of the Korvac saga. Sorry, the Korvac quest, but again, we're not going to read the follow-ups. So oh, this will be great. Oh man, are, don't you feel like we're are we doing are we doing thing? Do we have access to the other ones? Should we read the the whole uh, thing? I I I don't know if we do. They might be on Marvel Unlimited. You might have access because you got more GAT cores than I do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, if we, <laughs> like it's 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 all bad because like, we might as well do twenty five at the same time, which is part three of Citizen Kang. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Actually, we better not, because that really does tie in with the... the oh, um, with DeFalco stuff. The DeFalco stuff. Okay, so 19 and issues 22 through 24 for yes. our next uh, episode, which will... Some of the best annuals out there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Graham, I, I am amused that you amused yourself with that. Uh, shall we begin? Shall we begin wrap-up procedures? Why not? What's the worst that could happen? I I'm going to say that there will be show notes, um, probably around. Let's go for. I'm going to say noon again, and then like last week, shit will happen. And it'll be the end of the day, or maybe even the next day because the website will be down. <laughs> At some point on the Monday, there will be show notes up at waitwhatpodcast.com. Perfect. There are also going to be posts, as there are always posts, on wavepod.tumblr.com. There's also 
a Twitter account at Wait What Podcast. Jeff has a Twitter account at LazyBastid, at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. I have a Twitter account at Graham M, at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. And Jeff, suddenly reminded, I have to tell you the best thing about my recent trip. Yes. And this is something I can say on the podcast. Oh, great. You know that you'll go and order some coffee or some tea, and they'll say, what's your name? And you'll tell them their name, and they will mishear it. Yes. You also know I have an accent, and so people have problems with my name. Yes. I'm in the airport, and I'm, I'm heading out of Portland, and I order some tea, and they say, what's your name? And I say, Graham. And they go, what? And I say, Graham. And it's relatively early in the morning. And they go, what? And I say, Graham. And they go, I'm sorry, I'm just, like, I'm having real trouble hearing you, but I've got it now. What name do you think they wrote on the cup? Okay. Uh, Carl? Nope. Uh, I'll give you a clue. It's not a human being's name. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. What is it? Tell me. Rib. <laughs> I honestly almost went back to her and was like, that's really what you heard? <laughs> because that's amazing. Who do you know called Rib? Rib. Rib. That, I, you know, they they went with what they could get, I guess. Wow, Graham, that is amazing. I, I just, I actually had to tell you, and I feel good about telling all the podcast listeners as well. This, this, it's a story to share for everyone. The sad, the sad fact is knowing that you had the nickname of Grim for a while. Um, right? Which most people actually do hear when they say Grim. Because that's how I got it. I got it from, from an American person who couldn't say my name. Right. And, and, and knowing, as I do with some shame, that we've been friends for so long and I still don't say your name anywhere near correctly... Um, and you suffer through the horrific Americanization. Say my name. What are you talking about? No, I don't think so. I, 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 I think I say it. I've, I've gotten a little bit better at making it sound a, like Graham, like a little closer to an E in there, which I know is the, the trick. But um, a lot of times I just say Graham, 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 Graham. That, that works. Graham. That's okay. Well, see, that's, again, you're, you're just kind. You're used to it. The fact is, rib sounds closer I think to how you pronounce your name. <laughs> that's, that's not true. I mean, at least with the vowel sound, his vowel sound is probably closer than my vowel sound. I'm again. I don't think that's true. <laughs> okay. I don't stop trying to defend this woman. Uh, well, I didn't. Okay, I, I didn't know that it was a woman. I thought it was it, a man. Instead, but... Jeff. Yes. Tell everyone about Patreon, listeners. We have a Patreon. And Patreon listeners, uh, wait, I'm getting confused already. We have regular listeners. We have listeners on Patreon. They are all awesome. We love you all. You manage to keep us excited and motivated, and you say great things and make wonderful suggestions as to what series we should be um, reading at next after we finish Fantastic Four. Oh, my God, so many good suggestions. I did, I, I just strikes me. I didn't even check the comments. Did oh people my God, guess the, the, yeah. Did people guess the, the series we were talking about? Uh, they didn't. They didn't make a guess. What happened was one or two people definitely mentioned it as a suggestion for what they thought we should tackle. But honestly, a lot of people were tackle, saying like, "Here's what you should tackle next," which was really wonderful because there were a lot of really great ideas. I think I'm um, I'm literally checking out right now as you continue the Patreon thing. So go. Thanks to your guys's lovely uh, encouragement and motivation. Um, 
and the fact that some of you find people on Patreon throw us some time variance dollars, as I believe that they are called. Uh, you help keep us sort of um, perky and active. And uh, we are super grateful to all of you, including the kind crew at American Ninth Art Studios and Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, uh, for their continuing support of this podcast. We are absolutely incredibly grateful, and I promise that we will still feel that way even when we're slogging through the last set of the Tom DeFalco issues, which I really am not. I'm really, I'm, I'm scared, Graham. I'm really technically, I'm very, very frightened. What is hilarious to me is both of us are. <laughs> One has, we have genuinely talked when we're not recording about how we're going to cover these because neither of us want to read these issues and there's 60 of them. <laughs> like, it's not even like, you know, think of it. If we do 10 issues an episode like we did this week that's 10 episodes yeah yeah you know that's six episodes no oh i see what you're saying if we do six you six, sorry if we do if you we misspoke do six at some like point we, yes. yes exactly no, you're right if we do six uh that's even if we do 10 episodes that's six episodes yeah no i honestly i think i think we'll do the annuals we'll dip our toe in and i it wouldn't surprise me if we decide to do 20 issues at a go and and just finish that up in three months. Yeah, <laughs> who knows? The other thing is this, Jeff. If we do twenty issues to go, we have to read twenty issues at a time. Yeah. No, I know. And it sounds like they are not the sort of books that you want to read twenty issues of in a row. They're not. They're not the sort of books you want to read two issues in a row. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. I was in the. I want to say the late nineties. I found a significant chunk of these in what would be even less than a dollar bin. Like, you know, why don't you get 10 of these for a pound type mm -hmm. thing? Mm -hmm. And so I've read like a chunk of them. And yeah, <laughs> like, sure, they're comics, but that's the that's literally the best I can say about them. <laughs> ah, I'm, hoping, dear. I'm hoping to find some nuance when I have to read the fuckers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, me too. You know, but it's it's just oof. Yeah. Oof. Oof. Oof, everyone. <laughs> um, hey, Jeff, it's the Baxter Building, so you're the one who sings us out. Oh, that's right. So thank you so much for joining us, everyone, and we will see you next time in the lobby of the Baxter Building. <laughs>